Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Ross Kemp. Over the last 18 years, I've made some 90-odd documentaries predominantly in hostile environments, from Afghanistan to Syria, from El Salvador to the Congo. And it's fair to say that during that time, I found myself in a few interesting situations. I've been shot at, tear gassed, had knives pulled on me and spears thrown at me. But in all those years, what's impressed me the most is the resilience of the human spirit. Our ability, no matter where we're from, to overcome and make it through to the other side. So, in my new series, The Kempcast, I'll be talking to some incredible individuals who all have engaging stories to tell and have themselves overcome some extremely tough moments in their lives. Right now, we're living in unprecedented times and we should be doing all we can together to get through this as safely as possible. I hope that if you subscribe to the Kempcast and hear how my guests overcame their toughest moments, it may help you overcome yours, whether you're going through one right now or you're faced with one in the future. Joining me today is multi-award-winning radio DJ Chris Moyles. He became a household name at Radio 1, holding the record for being the longest-serving breakfast show presenter. He's now hosting The Breakfast Show on Radio X and is still happily saying what he wants to say and doing what he wants to do. I hope you enjoy the show. Right, Chris, um, last time we met, uh, you rightly wrapped me on the knuckles for saying I got up early one morning. Uh, what time? No, you, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you Go can't on. get away with that. You didn't. It wasn't <laughs> that you got up early. Is that you, were, you told me that you got up at uh, 0500 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, why did he get up that time? He went, oh, I was filming today, blah, blah, blah. And then every time we were at some event and every time someone came and said hello, they went, how's your day? You were like, I've got up at 0500 this morning. Yeah, I was filming. And you kept saying 0500 this morning. And I went, firstly, we we're a bit drunk, you and I. Firstly, stop telling everybody what time you got up. And secondly, it's 0500. You don't have to say 0500 this morning. 0500 is the morning. You should know this. So that's why I wrapped you up the knuckles. Well, actually, can I have a go? I'm going to have a go now. Why were you late coming on today? What happened? So, I apologise. Um, no, I'm joking, bro. Come on to me. What happened? Though? I will tell you. So, um, when you do a radio show, 
people think that you only work for the time slot that your radio is on. So our show is 6.30 to 10, and everybody thinks, oh, that's great, you're done by 10 o'clock and you've got the rest of the day. Now, every so often, that is, that is the case. Like, if you want to get away on a Friday, you can leave at 10. But generally, um, that's not how it works. So lockdown has changed everything. Before lockdown, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would do the show. We would have a quick meeting uh, till half 10. And then I'd jump on a couple of tubes. And then I'd get to the gym. And I'd train 11 till 12 or 11 till 1, depending on how fat I was feeling. And then Tuesdays, I have a catch-up with the boss. And Thursdays, we have a longer meeting and a planning meeting. And we do some recording and stuff. So that's always been my routine. So often, if I did a, a double session at the gym, I'd be getting home after 2. And then I've got stuff to do at home and stuff. And, and I've weirdly, even though I don't do a 9-to-5 job, I've got a 5 p.m. cutoff. Like that's when I've got to finish work and go and get changed. Not that I wear work clothes and put like my sweatpants on and a hoodie and then chill and watch TV. But um, today I uh, did the show and then I came home and uh, I had to sort a few things out. I had to make a few phone calls back to work and I had to ring our boss of Radio X because I've got, I had to run an idea past him and ask him for something. And then I trained and I'm feeling really fat at the moment. I've got re I'm really fascinated by body dysmorphia because I really have an issue with body dysmorphia, which I think most people do, but we'll talk about that later. And it's a Monday today, so I thought I've got to do a big session. So I did a, like a little weight session and then I jumped on the Peloton bike, which I'm obsessed with, and, uh, and did about uh, 14, 15 miles. And then that left me with 45 minutes to get showered and chill before, you and I had this conversation and then we're getting a new floor uh, at our home. And this is all very new to me. I'm not a very good grown up. The guy delivered all the bits of flooring on a pallet outside on the road, outside our house. And then went, there you go. And drove off. And it was piled like it was, it was as tall as Warwick Davis. So we had to get all this flooring in. So I was a sweaty mess because it's a hot day today. So uh, that's why I was late because this 6.30 to 10 job and then relax for the rest of the day is non-existent. Okay, here's a question for you. It always seems all of the shows that you've done uh, coming up for 30 years. So congratulations. Um, is that the right word? I don't know. I don't know where that time has gone. Um, is, it, is it really rehearsed and planned out? Is it spontaneous? Is it a mixture of both? What's the format? It's a mixture of both. The majority of it is, is spontaneous. So we don't have a script. Um, we have a list of music that we roughly follow, but I move it around a little bit because I think that song might sound better coming after the adverts as opposed to before the adverts and stuff. And um, I've done it long enough now that it's, it's predominantly ad lib. So tomorrow, I can tell you tomorrow's show is Tuesday. We will definitely have my mate Rob DJ doing a quiz. We does a quiz every Tuesday. So that'll be about 20, 25 minutes worth of the show. And I don't know what's that in. We just ad-lib that. He's got his questions. I know we've got, I think we've got an interview tomorrow with Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons and maybe his missus, um, which would they want to talk about a war child initiative that they're doing. Um, Bar that, I don't know what's in the show. 
I've no idea. They, they might, the production team might put a little game in there or something, but that's it. 6.30 when I start till 7.30 is generally free just for me to go off and talk about stuff. And from there, we, that normally leads us to somewhere else. So, um, yeah, so it's a little bit of both. There's, and there's a lot of forward planning for stuff. If you want to do, like, again, before lockdown, we do these crazy big competitions from time to time and that needs planning to a certain extent so but the rest the actual the actual words really is all ad lib not like you when you're an actor you get told what to say how to say it where to look yeah it's true uh but i prefer the documentaries because there's less people telling me what to do and on that subject i mean that's something that i think you and i both have in common we sometimes don't like being told exactly what to do and when to do it is that true I guess, yeah, I guess that's that's true. I think that's fair. I think that's a trait I get from my dad. My dad's never been good with authority at all. <laughs> well, good. I think, look, your dad was a postman, right? My dad was a copper. They sort of like, hardworking people of that generation also have a sort of an element of a problem with authority, even though they work in so-called, you know, ordered jobs. Your dad, I think, I'm guessing, I'm reading between the lines a bit, gave you a really strong work ethic. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I th yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I certainly don't, uh, it's a different type of work that I do. He'd like, he would graft, but then he was, um, um, like he, he was a, a postman on the street with his rounds and stuff, but then uh, for much later, um, for, for a long period of time, he was a driver. And so he would drive the big Royal Mail trucks up and down from depot to depot. Um, by the end of his, his time there, he's still alive, he's just retired. Um, and he, but he loved it and he loves driving. And so he found it really easy and really enjoyed it. And he did a lot of overtime. I mean, we, um, if I was American, I'd be now telling you just how poor we were. But, but when I was a kid, I didn't really realize we didn't have a lot of money. And dad worked overtime. I don't really know what overtime was. It was just, you know, dad worked overtime. He just always seemed to be working any extra shifts that he could just to um, make ends meet. And we weren't, we weren't poor and I never felt poor, but looking back, we didn't have a lot, but we had enough, you know what I mean? So, um, but he, he worked hard. I, I bought, um, when I bought my first uh, flat ever, which was in, in London, um, and a little garden flat, a little basement flat with a garden. And we were stood, mum and dad came to see me and we were stood in the garden looking at the flat, which is really weird because there's basically three other flats above it because it's a house and you've got one tiny little bit on the bottom. And um, I said, look at this, look, I bought a flat, dad. And he goes, yeah, well done. And I said, you know, I've been, and he interrupted you, he went, don't, don't say you've been lucky. <laughs> you, you worked hard for this you worked hard and I went oh no don't get me wrong I've worked hard to get it but equally I'm, I'm very lucky at the same time you know and he's like no you've worked hard you, you get what you you know what you put into it and I went yeah but you know I know a lot of people who work hard and uh you know it, it's just getting the breaks do you know what I mean so yeah I do I get that work ethic from dad but then equally I'm I get this amazing lazy streak and that's not from my dad. I don't know who that's from, but I'm really lazy. I don't get that from you. I get the fact that you're actually, you, I think you love what you do so much. 
and you sort of said that in, in the past that and you've been doing it for a very long time now you don't do something that long if you don't love it you must love it i do i do love it and if i'm doing something that i really love then it's not a job it's not work and that can be anything that can be you know exercising on a bike or going for a run or uh, editing a little video because i'm quite geeky and techy like that or anything audio based i can sit and edit or i can sit and mix on the dj equipment for half an hour and the next thing i know is i've been there for three hours and i'm like really um but i'm not i've, I've never had a proper job but I, I disagree with you. I think what you do is a proper job. And I think it's, and I think it's, it's not, not only, it's, look, it's not just sitting there putting on records. It, it's, it's not though. It's, it's, a, it's a job, but it's not, it's not a proper job. I, I, mean, I know what you mean. It's, 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 you know, you've got to work hard because you'll get found out um, in, in this line of work. And uh, really quickly, I would suggest, and, and we'll come to that in a minute, but I want okay. to go back to you. So, is it true that you rang in uh, for a Christmas record to yeah. guess what it was? Is that yeah. the fir your first radio experience? Yeah. Mum was making mince pies in the kitchen because my mum loved to bake. And the radio was on and they were doing a competition, which is, which, looking back, I think the DJ had nothing for the show that day. But I kind of like the surrealness of it. And the competition was Name the Christmas Song. And that was it. No clues, no nothing. Name the Christmas song. Call up now. So somebody called up and went, is it Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? And he goes, no, keep calling. And I just thought, wow, this is amazing. So I rang, I said to my mum, can I ring? And she goes, yeah. So I rang up and they said, what's your name? And I said, Chris, where are you from? Temple Newsom. Yeah, she lived in Halton, but mum thought Temple Newsom sounded posher. And the next thing is I'm on the radio and they went, hello, Chris. And I went, hello. What do you think the answer is? Is it frosted snowman? And they went, no, it's not, but thanks for trying bike. And that was it. And I was like, I've just been on the I've just been on the I've just been on the radio. And my mum was in the kitchen, she's like, oh, we heard you. And I'm like, that's a mate. And that was it. I just got hooked with the idea of 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 radio and wanted to be on it and wanted to know everything about it. Everything I wanted to know. From that point, you're obsessed. Yeah. Like I wanted to know. How do they, what happen? How do, how do I hear the DJ and then the music? And then, and then this is obviously an advert, but then what's that little bit of music that plays after the advert that seem, seemingly sings the name of the radio station? How do they play that? What's that? That's a jingle. Okay. How do they play them? It's on a cartridge, a cart. Or in, how do they play those out in a cart machine? How do they know when the end of the ad, does it play, how do they, how do they know when the start of the record is the start of the record? How do they know here's the latest one by and it's start? How do they? And so then I wanted to see what the studio looked like. And I was ob obsessed, just obsessed. And I've got a few friends who are the same. And I've got a really good friend of mine, Stephanie. And we pretty much, pretty much started together. And we're exactly the same. Our story of, of getting into radio is exactly the same. We just, and I think that's what, I think that's what makes our show really different is, be, is the fact that I'm, I'm really, really good at radio. Forget the show I do, but I'm really, really good at it. I can do top 40 radio. I can do that was, this is hit the vocals, slick, tight, really formatted radio. Cause I did it for years, but I just do a, I do the show that I do because it's the kind of show that I would like to listen to. And it's very relaxing. It's very, 
uh, free form and stuff. But when the buttons are getting pressed, it's very, very slick. It's a real mixture of... Is it swan-like? Is it swan-like? So on the surface, got, it's like... That's, that's my mate Max ringing. Hello, Max. One, one sec. Max, Max, I'm doing an interview with Ross Kemp. Can I call you back? Hello, Max. He says hello. Hi, Ross. Hi, Max. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good, bro. What are you up to? So I'll call you back in a bit, Chris. Okay. okay. <laughs> Did it go well? Did it go well? Yeah, it was really, yeah, really Good. well. Good. All right, I'll call you back later. Bye. That's my prodigy. I'll tell you about him later. Okay. But is it a little bit like a swan then? On the surface, it's serene. Underneath, it's the legs are going bilio. Or you just know everything about radio. What about if someone screws up? If you know that you're listening to your show back and you know that someone uh, below you, which is say you just spoke to prodigy on the phone, Someone below you doesn't perform to the levels that you expect. Do you do you bollock them? I'm not I'm not great with confrontation, weirdly. I'd rather do it on the air. And back in the day we used to do, do that on the air and I'd get really annoyed. But it was safer to do it weirdly on the radio. And there were people who hate me who think I'm a scumbag because I just shout and berate people. But if I was to do that off the air, I uh, would either uh, just bottle it because I don't want the conversation of it because it's awkward or B I might just say too much. or say the wrong thing. Whereas on the radio, if I'm bollocking someone, I'm restricted by what language I can use and what I can say. And obviously at the same time, I want to turn it into a bit. I want it to be entertaining, even if though it might be a bit skin crawly and awkward. So, but everybody, um, everybody, everybody who works on the show has earned their place. Um, Dominic and Pippa, I've worked with them for, for years before at the BBC. And then uh, James and Matt are relatively dead new since I joined the Radio X. And uh, we've, we've, we've had instances where we've had to kick people up the arse. And, and that includes me and Dominic and Pippa. We all, all of us from time to time need a beat of the arse. Um, and so... It, if we've we've had to we've had to say to people uh, uh, you know we've had to say to somebody on the show before look it ain't you know you, you don't get a free pass no one does no one on the show so you've got to you've got to pick it up otherwise it's not going to work you know i mean we all work really hard on a show that sounds like we just rock up piss about for three and a half hours and go home um but there's a lot of work involved and i and i think that in a weird complimentary way to ourselves on the show there are people who've worked on the show from time to time and like you know we have interns that come and do a certain amount of a few months with us and sometimes the interns just see it as one big piss about because we're that good at it it does look like we're just pissing about but we're still working hard even when we're on the air laughing and joking we're still working we're still making that entertaining because you could just switch the radio on for three and a half hours talk a load of shite and nobody would like it Apart from you in the studio, so you've got to make it entertaining, and you know. We're, and as I say, we're all very good at what we do. So, yeah, occasionally you've got to um, give someone a kick up the ass, and that includes me. And I'll hold my hands up uh, sometimes. It's funny how you judge. Everybody judges the show by their own work on it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever ever like that with acting. Like, we'll do a show, and I'll go at eight o'clock. I'll go to Dom. This shit today. I can't get into it. And he goes, this show's great today. And I go, it's just me. I'm not, 
And he goes, you, you've, got, you've been really funny. That bit was funny. That bit was funny. And I go, I've got to pick it up. I've got to pick it up. And he goes, it's fine. Or he'll go, that's rubbish today. And I go, what are you talking about rubbish? It was, it was, we were blinded. We were on fire today. And it's really interesting how everyone judges it from their own input to the show. So would you say you're self-critical? Yeah. To the point, to the point that, that you worry about it? I don't worry about it. Um, as I get older, that's, that's one of the nice things about getting older is you do get a little bit more... Um, you, uh, well, I was going to say you get a bit more, fuck it, but I think I was... There's, there's things that I've said on the radio in the past that I wouldn't say now, and there's bits that we've done or line, roads that I would have gone down that I wouldn't necessarily do now. But then at the same time, I kind of feel the pressure's off a little bit because I'm not, you know, I'm not 25 talking to a bunch of, you know, late teenagers and early 20s. I, I'm just, I'm now, I'm talking to now anybody who listen. I don't care what age the listener is. So I feel a lot of pressure's off. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very critical. It's got to be, but in, in everything I do, you know, it's got to be, it's showbiz, isn't it, love? When you were 20, 19, 20, you were mm. um, at Pulse. Um, and you had to leave, you were dismissed uh, because you criticised the uh, station's previous programme controller. Yeah, it's all a bit of a fast that, I think. But, 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 but you're a young lad, you're 19. You're 19, you've done hospital radio before that. And there you are, you know, you're already cutting a lot. You're cutting a big path for yourself at an early age. And you must be 20 because it's a year later. You refer to the programme controller as a spineless bastard. Um, Did I? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, spineless bastard. Um, so that says something about the young Chris Moyle. But, but, but that's a bit like the young Ross Kemp. You know, if I met your, the wrong Ross Kemp, 25-year-old, um, just got into EastEnders, I think I'd want to punch him straight in the face. What, do you, what, what would young you think of you now? God, I don't know what you think about me. You'd probably think, you'd probably think he's an old git. Yeah, I think Chris Moyles of 20-odd years ago would be like, uh, I always think about this with, with my training and with my weight, that I'd be smoking a fag, having a beer, looking at me on a treadmill going, fucking idiot. <laughs> but the irony is I still drink and smoke. So, <laughs> but, I, but, but this is, this is, um, I'm quite, uh, I've never studied philosophy, but I'm quite philosophical in a, in a, you know, in a, in a, you know, idiot's way. There is certain things that I've realized through life that I'm like, I cling on to because I think they're really helpful. And, and one is when you're younger, well, certainly me, when I was younger, I was bulletproof and I still had a lot of insecurities and worries and concerns and whatnot but i look back now i was bulletproof i said to my careers officer i'm going to get a job on the radio because i want to be a radio dj and he goes well how about you you know what studies are you going to do i no, no no i'm not going to get any studies because there's no point in me getting studies i may as well try and get a job now because i could study for two years or actually gain two years worth of experience and i know uh, who i'd hire if i was thinking of someone who's someone who's got a certificate or someone has actually done it so I'm, this, that's what i'm going to do and I told my careers officer, told him what I was going to do. And I look back now and go, he must have thought either, wow, he's certainly confident, or what an arrogant twat, what an idiot. But I did it. And it was, there's no, there was no ceiling. There was no fear. There was no worries. Now, I didn't have a mortgage to pay and anything like that. I didn't have any kids, didn't have any ties, didn't have any, any worries. I just had pure blind ambition. And when I do new stuff now, I try and channel that 
kid, that younger version of me that just went, I'm going to be on the radio. So how do I do that? I make a demo tape and I send it off to radio stations. Okay, that's what I'll do. And it worked. So now I try and channel that kind of no holes barred confidence, balls of steel. But even then you didn't know it was confidence and balls of steel. You just went, well, I want to do it. I'll do it. So um, I think that's a really helpful, useful thing to look at when you're doing something as an adult, because fear starts to kick in more and more as you get older, I think. Absolutely. Totally. I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm more what, weary and worried now than I was totally. You, you feel, as you say, you feel invincible at a certain point. And also you're always going to be right, even when you're wrong. Um, but the one thing I thought was really, really interesting looking for your notes is something you said is, you know, never say never, which is something that I always say about, about my life and, and, and the trajectory that I've sort of taken is, is that you can never say never in life. Life changes too much. It's, but weirdly, I've said no loads. What's your biggest no then? Have you got a no that you regret? I, I, went, through, I went through a phase when I was on Radio 1, because I was doing the breakfast show on Radio 1, you, you, you're in the spotlight all the time. And, and so you get a lot of jobs that you would never get unless you were doing the Radio Breakfast Show. There's no shadow of a doubt about it. And, um, and I've heard Radio 1 DJs say this, and you, you get the gig and you think you're the bollocks, right? You think you're setting the world on fire. And, and now uh, Radio 1 is now on its second breakfast show DJ since I left. It was Nick and now it's Greg. And what's interesting is, is all these great opportunities that are, coming, that are coming their way, they will stop once that show stops. <laughs> And I've, I've, I'm waiting for a call from Nick Grimshaw. We're not, we're not that close. Not in a, not that we don't get on. We're just not that close. And I would kind of, I'm kind of waiting for him to ring me and go, wow, it really does go quiet, doesn't it, when you leave? <laughs> and if Greg's listening to this, it will go quiet. That your job is to make sure it doesn't go quiet. But no one tells you there's no handbook. But um, I got offered, uh, when I was doing the radio on breakfast show, I got offered to be on loads of TV shows. And some TV shows that I absolutely loved. I remember I got asked to do Shooting Stars with Vic and Bob. And I loved that show. I watched the first ever, the first ever one of Shooting Stars, which was a total one-off, one night in the early 90s. And it wasn't for a few years till they brought it back as a series. And I got asked to go on it. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been asked to go. Oh my God. Someone said, are you going to say yeah? I went, no. And they're like, why not? And I went, because I've been asked. And that's great. I never thought I'd ever be asked to be on a show that I loved. I went, why don't you do it? And I went, I don't know. I'm not going to. I just like the fact I've been asked. I guess I've been asked what a cool thing. And now I'm not, I don't have to worry about doing it or worry about making a dick of myself or, you know. So I don't know why. I look back now and go, well, what a strange thing for me to do. But I, I kind of did that a few times. I, I would say no to things just because I kind of felt I should just say no. So you say never say never. So you know that kind of, you know, YOLO, you only live once. There's two ways you can look at that, which is you only live once, go for it. Or you only live once, get to bed early, get a good night's sleep, make sure you're around tomorrow, look after yourself. That's the older Chris Moore's talking there, mate. That's, a, <laughs> that's my Peloton boy. That is, isn't it? We're going to come to that in a minute. But I want to go, let's go to what we're talking about being on that radio show. You are still the longest serving uh, breakfast presenter on Radio 1. Yeah, that'll, that'll never get beat either. And the reason for that is because it's changed, right? It just, is, is, it, is it more cutthroat, more competitive, or were you just better? Uh, it, was a mixed, it was a mixture of we were really good, 
we really knew what to do with it. Uh, there wasn't really anybody to take our place. So a brief history of the Radio and Breakfast show goes, Simon Mayo did it for five and a half years. And then I can't remember if it went straight to Chris Evans, but Chris Evans did it for 18 months before it went a bit sour. And then they had a couple of people fill in, or Mark Goodyear or Dave Pierce filled in. Then Mark and Lard got it. I think Mark and Lard did it for maybe a year. And that didn't work. And then Kevin and Zoe did it. And then they gave it to Zoe on her own. And that worked for a couple of years. And then they changed that to Sarah Cox. And that only lasted a couple of years. So by the time it came to us doing it, uh, I knew exactly how to do that show and what to bring to it. And, and, and because of that, it was a hit. And, I, and, I, and, I, and nothing against everybody else who, who, would, who had done it before, but our show was the first proper radio and breakfast show in my eyes since Simon Mayo had done it. And after two years, it was a hit and it was getting bigger. And after three years, it was getting bigger. And after four years, it was getting bigger. Uh, and a lot of the other shows that had gone before us, uh, what they didn't even last four years because they didn't, you know. They, they just was this hard? Them. Was this was this your research, your hard work, team playing? What was it? What was the drive behind it? Because you are at the epicenter there. There is nowhere else to go after that point. So is it just in your nature to want to keep getting better, to maintain, to hold that position? Because it is, it's the middle position, right, on the platform. It's the greatest. It's the it's the biggest for for me at my age. It's the greatest radio gig you can do in in Europe. You know, I, I there are there are big radio shows around the world, but there aren't any like the Radio 1 and the Radio 2 breakfast show, they're, they're iconic. And Radio 1, probably, arguably more so, even though Radio 2 has got more listeners. But, the, you know, a handful of people have done it. So I just stifled a burp then, but I think you probably heard it. Sorry. Not even like a burp, mate. We'll be burping away. So this was, the, this was the dream of getting... It's the, it's the biggest show you can get. And, and, and for me, I'm like, this is... I know exactly what to do. We've done the afternoon show for five years before we got the practice show and we didn't think we were going to get it. So when we got it, I remember saying to the boss, just let me get on with it. So, so tell me, you had the opportunity, you had the opportunity to tell to turn around to a boss at the BBC and that's never easy and say, don't get involved with the train set, leave the controls to me. And he was great. He, he was a guy called Andy Parfit and we'd had our run-ins before. Um, and he gave me the, the show. And I said, do me a favor, let me, let me do it. Let me and my team run it the way I really think it should be done. Like with the greatest respect. If, and we're having a drink. I went, if you guys knew how to do this, we wouldn't be having this conversation because there'd be somebody on the air for the last five years. So let me do it my way. Let me bring my guys in. Let me run it. And he said, okay, I think that's fair enough. However, I know what I'm doing as well because I'm the boss. So if I do chip in, then you have to, because I'd said, trust me. And he goes, okay, fine. But then you have to trust me if I do get involved. And I went, I, that's entirely fair. I think that's really fair. And, and that Andy would stand back and let us do it and would, uh, and would come in from time to time and go, you sure you're good with this? You sure you know where you're going with this? Do you want to be doing that? Maybe you should pull back on that a bit. And it'd be like, okay, he doesn't, when he does that, he really means it. But he was great. He, we had a, 
we had a drink one night in the pub. We got really pally, uh, you know, boss and DJ relationship. And, and we're still friends now, which is nice. And he was saying, we're having a few pints. And he was saying, I heard you do this thing this morning. And he goes, I want to ask you about it. He goes, because I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have done what you did. And I was, it was funny, but I was worried that you might alienate a few people. And I wouldn't have gone down that risk. I'd have gone it, done it the other way. And then he paused. And he went, but I guess that's why you're doing it. And, and, I'm, and I'm the boss. And I thought that was very uh, cool, for want of a word, for him to, to be able to go, you know, you're the DJ, I'm the boss. You do it. If I think you're doing it wrong, I'll jump in. Is he a bit like, is he a, bit like a race team then? Like he's the, he owns the race team. He wants... He wants that driver to go quicker around the track than anybody else. So he should be telling you when to apply the brake unless he thinks you're going to smash the car or smash yourself. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and you know, those people in, in the industry are few and far between. And, and this, this might come as a shock to, to people listening to this, but people in charge of entertainment don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> and I, I fully believe this. The people in charge of TV have no idea what people want to watch on television. The people oh. in charge of radio have no idea what people want to listen to on the radio. And the people in charge of the new releases and the CDs and the downloads, they have no idea what people want to buy. They don't know. The movie companies, they're all the same. And you get a few shining lights of people who actually are really good. And, you know, but... If you think about TV shows, how many times have you sat and watched a TV show and gone, Jesus, this is dog shit television. And then you'll watch something else and you'll go, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen with my own eyes. How is that possible? On the same night, on the same channel, you can go, okay, forget that's not for me. It's just shit. And it's the same with, with radio. There are awful radio stations out there. Awful, awful DJs, awful shit. And so to have Andy uh, be as supportive, to give me that much freedom, and to stand by the show as well, which is really important, was was I'll always be grateful uh, to him. Always, he was he was a brilliant, brilliant boss. But it's 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 all well and good why it's going well, isn't it? That's always the situation with anything when you're at the top of that point of that spear. Everybody, but there's also people continuously going to be judging you, and you were heavily judged by by some tabloids and some journalists. Did that ever get to you? Yeah. Well, what got to me was the fact that the Daily Mail at that point, when it was majority, it, it was mainly a newspaper before it was just you know clickbait on websites. Um, they would write about me like I was the Antichrist. Like I was literally sorry, I'm laughing, but all but drug dealing on the air and you know worshiping Satan, and I would say you know, and the bosses would get concerned. You know, we didn't have an easy, we didn't have free reign to do whatever we wanted. You know, they would let us go a little bit, but if we if we went down the wrong road, we'd get you know we'd we'd, we'd feel the fury from time to time, and I would say if the Daily Mail is writing about how awful this is. Aren't we doing it right? Because it's not aimed at them. It ain't aimed at 50-year-olds who read the Daily Mail. They're, they're, they're another world. We don't want them listening. That's like your, I don't know, it's like your 
grandmother listening to R&B and going, it's just noise. Well, good. It's not for you. You know, it's not aimed at you. You shouldn't really like it. But, but why do you think they went for you? Is it because you're the BBC? Because of the BBC and because uh, I, I asked for a certain amount of it. I think, you know, I was a, you know, I was a larger than life motor mouth DJ, as they would love to call me. You know, but I was a, I was a, 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 a gobshite. I was a loud mouth gobshite. But if you listen, and I still maintain this, if you listen to the show regularly, you got it for what it was. And if you didn't, I totally understand how you would see that I was just a, a lout. I've had the pleasure of having a beer with you occasionally, sometimes one, sometimes more than one. Uh, and, and I have vodka, by the way. I know, yeah. I know it's not mm. Mr. Peloton. So I used to go to EastEnders and put on a leather jacket and a pair of jeans. Now, I didn't change my haircut, but I literally, once I got into that little cubbyhole dressing room, I sort of took on a persona that was the one that I had to play for the day. And then I dropped him off at the dressing room and got in my car and drove down the A1 back into London. Do you put on a persona when you go into that studio? It's, it's not the same. It's not, it's not playing a character, but is it, another, is it an extension of Chris Moore's? Is it, is it Chris Moore's past? It's a turned up version of me. It's me in the, metaphorically speaking, it's me in the pub with a load of mates holding court, four pints in. That's that's where we are. Yeah, but it's eight, but it's but it's a, it's at a ridiculous o'clock in the morning, isn't it? So you've got to you've got to bring a lot of energy to that. Is that not sapping sometimes? Yeah, you do. But then at the same time, the, the what's nice about our show is we built it up to a point where we've now. If I'm tired, like I'll yawn mid-link at the end of a jingle. If I'm tired and I'm mid-yawn, I'm mid-yawn. Let's not worry about it. You know, in the old show, it would be a I'd burp. But people would literally be disgusted, like I just defecated on the floor. Um, so you learn very quickly what people will go, oh, you God, you're so outrageous, I can't believe you've done that. And no, that's disgusting. And burping, really, was people did not like the burping. <laughs> and uh, so, so I'm lucky in the sense that I can put the radio on, I can put the microphone on at 6.30 and go, I am really tired today. I'm really knackered. And I think that's why the people who love the show love it, because it is, it is really honest. It is a version of me, but it's still me. There's no... And, and you've got to bear in mind, everything was for the, on air before. Everything. There were, there were no holes barred. Everything was material. And everybody who worked on the show, everybody was fodder, and it didn't make any difference. And, we, we, and we've been everywhere. We've been everywhere with me and the people on the show you know you're going through some shit at home it's material you know you're literally on your period and, and moody it's material for the show you know and and it was i you know a guest would leave and it'd be like that's fun wasn't it no he was really rude off the air was he <laughs> what a git what a prick it was all on the air and and that's that's ballsy. You know, that's honesty, though, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, but that takes, it takes a lot of balls to do that. I mean, we've done that when someone's been in the room, in the next room, they've just been on, and then I've been told that they were a bit moody to the, to the behind-the-scenes staff. And I'm like, well, screw them. What an idiot. Don't let them back. And then you kind of go, but you have to just, you have to just, I hate this phrase, this phrase but it, it, it does sum it up. It just balls on the table. Just, just, Go for it. You've just got to, you know, you, you've got that radio and breakfast show once. 
So if you think saying that line is, make somebody, is going to make somebody spit their coffee out all over the dashboard as they're driving to work, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And that's, that's where I'm misunderstood. And I'm, it's fine if no one likes me. It's fine if people think I'm, a, uh, I'm shit and that it's just not their particular brand of vodka. I get that. But that's what I do. If, I, if, there's one, if there's the one thing that I shouldn't say to you, Ross, right now that's going to make your producer spit his drink out all over the place, I have a compulsion to say that one line. Has that always been inside you, Chris? Has that been with you since you were a kid? I, maybe, you know, maybe. But, you know, I, I just, I want to, I've never been a shock jock. You know, we don't really have shock jocks in, in the UK like they do in American radio. And, and yeah, we've done stuff. We've done stuff to be naughty and to be shocking to a certain extent, but the show was never about that. The show was, I want this, I want people to spit their tea out across the breakfast table and go, geez, I can't believe he just said that and laugh. That's all I want. I don't want, I genuinely don't want people to be offended. I just want people to go, Jesus Christ, I can't believe he said that. That's where I live. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You've done virtually every slot, haven't you? You've done 24 hours around the clock. Yep. Uh... I mean, do you, do you have to tailor it? For, for the diff, I mean, obviously for the audience, but also for the different time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so weird to me because it's, it's so obvious. It's so glaringly, like, if, you, if you're doing a late night show or an evening show or a Saturday morning show or a Tuesday morning breakfast show, then, yeah, you have to kind of adapt it a little bit in the same way that if you were asked to play a vampire or a cockney gangster or a pauper on the street or a millionaire you know you you just i just think it's clearly obvious that that's what you do but then again it clearly not for some though is it because you can see them in different slots and they produce exactly the same performance in that smashy and nicey kind of voice maybe i'm just that good at it i don't know <laughs> <laughs> jokes 
Yeah, I mean, the, the nice thing about being on Radio X genuinely is, is that I'm allowed now to, to be my age. And yes, I'm very, very, very childish, but I don't, and we, you know, we used to joke on Radio 1 that we, you know, we weren't particularly into every song in the chart. Um, but then I didn't mind that. My argument was, you know, not everybody listening loves every song in the top 40. Um, but now on Radio X, I can talk for 15 minutes about how much I love Jeff Lynne and the Electric Light Orchestra or why this particular track is inspired this particular track or tell a story about how, I don't know, Nick Kershaw is still should be as relevant today as he was then. And I, I can talk about shit like that now without um, the bosses going, oh, he's talking about ELO. You know, when I was at Radio 1, there was a genuine belief by some people that I, I didn't like music because I didn't have a record of the week and I didn't bang on about, oh my God, that's such a great sound from Franz Ferdinand. The new album is amazing. And, I, and I'm like, well, that's what everyone else on Radio 1 does. That's not what we do. So a lot of people are like, uh, there was a guy at Radio X uh, called Mike Walsh, who I love dearly. And he, I, 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 He's in charge. He was in charge of the music on Radio X when I joined, and I, I like to think he was pleasantly surprised because I get to pick an hour of music every week on the Platinum Hour, and I think he was pleasantly surprised by when I'd send the email and I'd go, "This is what I picked for this week," and he'd be like, "Oh wow, oh okay, you know, so he knows his shit. He knows some good tunes." So I, I I like to interview people now, whereas before they would just come in the studio and we'd just think about. Whereas now, I genuinely like to, and I can, I can get. Uh, deeper with not not deeper, but I can get stuck in more with interviews on Radio X, which is great. You know, we're all getting older, but I'm still interested in in it all. But 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 also, Chris, I, I know that again a little bit more about you. You know, you are you're you're a bit like me as well. There is a lot of uh, straight talking, hard, no nonsense about you. But also, you're a sensitive soul as well. Things upset you. Things can get to you. Mm. What was it like? when they finally turned around, even though you'd had millions to their, to their to listening ship, when the BBC finally turned around and said to you, do you know what? He wants someone a bit younger, a bit more trendier. Oh, it was, it, it was, it was, uh, it was a nightmare. And it, and it was way worse than that. It was handled so badly. Was it? Looking back, it was, yeah, it was real dog shit. So the, the very short version is we were trying to get, we were trying to get a meeting or they were trying to get a meeting with us one or the other. And I was, I'd been offered the Jesus Christ superstar musical. So I'm like, well, I'll do both. I'll just do the radio show. Cause the BBC have studios everywhere. Right. So in every major city and we're doing a tour in every major city, I'll be able to do both. Maybe I'll take a couple of weeks off for, for rehearsal, but I think it'd be great. What a great thing to talk about on the air from somebody who literally did not like musicals at that point. And, and then they, I was filming a TV show and they said, we really need to see uh, Chris and can you come in as well? They said to my agent, my manager. And then she goes, look, he's got like, I honestly, eight minutes because he's got to get in a car, go to the studio, film a couple of episodes of the show. And they're like, then it's literally five minutes, five minutes. We just need five minutes and then we'll have a meeting. We just need to have five minutes and then we'll have another meeting. Okay, great. And the five minutes was to go, look, uh, uh, we're going to take you off the breakfast show. <laughs> Which is like, okay, fine. And my agent went, what? 
And I thought they were going to say, look, so let's, on the next meeting, let's talk about how we're going to wrap the show up. But they, they know they wanted to do it there and then. They, this was at 10 past 10 and they want to announce it in the news at half past 10. And um, unbeknownst to me, the, the whole radio show team have been told, can you hold on a second? We need to speak to you. So they put them in a holding room. They literally thought it was going to take five minutes. And I was like, well, if, if, if anyone's announcing that the show's finishing, it's going to be me. I don't know if you can hear, my shower's just decided to switch itself on. I'm not having crying. Anything. It's crying in the background. It's sympathy. I'm, I'm, I'm there with it. It's a, tear, it's a teardrop sound effect. So you're in that room, they go, we've got five minutes. We just want to tell you, even yeah. though you're the longest serving, you know, ever yeah. breakfast presenter on Radio One, you've added millions to our view, to our listenership. I keep yeah. listenership. And we had, yeah. Yeah. But we, we do you not go, why? No, because I, I, I got why. And the, the, the two things which are true is that, that Radio One is a conveyor belt. And for most, most people, for 99% of the DJs that have ever worked at Radio 1, you will get on the conveyor belt and then at some point you will fall off it um, for age, uh, just not being relevant anymore, or just time, you know, or bad decisions or whatever. You know, and Annie Nightingale, John Peel, uh, certain people uh, are a different rule because they... They're, they're a phenomenon, and I, and I really mean that. So it, it's going to run out. Time's going to run out. And what's interesting, looking back, and I've heard DJs, radio and DJs talk about this before, and it makes me smile now when I say it. You know, the story goes now that I was too old um, for the show, and that wasn't, that's not entirely true. Um, I was 39. No, was I 39? 38. I think I was when they took us off. Um, they recently hired a couple of years ago some DJs who were pretty much that age when they hired them, which did tickle me a little bit. Um, so there was that reason, which is, you know, there is a, there is, you know, you don't do it forever. You are literally, it's yours for a while. It is like renting um, a, a house, you know, and it's yours for a bit and then it won't be yours. You know, you don't live there. You're just, you know, you're just making your mark. And the second thing was the BBC Trust, which was a thing that existed then, were really breathing down Radio 1's neck heavily because the average age of the Radio 1 listener was 32, 33. And they thought, but it's a station for young people. 32, 33 year olds are not young. And uh, they got so obsessed with this that, this, that, that the boss in the time, uh, who was Ben, uh, had to make his mark and had to prove that, you know, he was doing something about getting the average age down. And the biggest move he could have made was taking me off the breakfast show and putting somebody younger in. And, and he made the call. It didn't work, but uh, he made the <laughs> but call. But how do you feel about that now? How do you feel about it now? Um, I, I get it. I mean, it's, it's a tricky one because Ben and I have not, um, never really spoken about this since. Um, I'd had a coffee with him maybe like six weeks, a couple of months before, and we were talking about, because it was a real thing. You know what the BBC like when they get the, the bit between their teeth, they go for it. And it was, we've got to get the youth audience, we've got to get the, the average age of the, the, list, the age of the average listener down. And I went, listen, it's irrelevant. The average age of the radio and listener is irrelevant. We had more teenagers 
listen to Radio 1 than I think any other BBC product. I think at that time, you went in it then, so I can say this, Radio 1 got way more, way more of a youth audience than EastEnders did. Way more. And on the Chris Miles show in the morning, um, a huge amount of teenagers and early 20s listened. Our absolute demographic was through the roof. However, we also had a lot of 30 plus listing and 40 plus and a few 50 plus. And the reason for that is one, people like what they like. And two, radio, if you grow up listening to Radio 1, you grew up listening to Radio 1 because that was the core station and Radio 2 was the old Fuddy Duddy station. And that's what people used to believe. And it's taken a long time for them to change that. But even now, still, Radio 2 is for the older people. Radio 1's for the cool young people. And there are people who don't want to listen to Radio 2. They don't want to leave Radio 1. They love Radio 1. They want to keep listening. How old are you? 52. I bloody love it. And the BBC Trust didn't get this, or maybe it was never fully explained to them. But my argument was, it's irrelevant. It makes no odds. And you should say, guys, you're barking up the wrong tree. Don't worry about the average age of the Radio 1 listener. It's a re- as long as we're... If this was Coca-Cola... And they said, we're putting out a brand new drink. And in the first week, 50 million people bought it. And then in the second week, 40 million. And then the third week, 30. Fourth week, 30. Fifth week, 30. You go, okay, people tried it. And 30 million still like it. And the rest don't. And in that 30 million, it was, let's say it was aimed at women. It was a new Coca-Cola for women. And they suddenly realized, of people who are buying it are men. They wouldn't give two shits because they go, well, the women are buying it. The people we want to buy it are buying it. They're enjoying it. Great. Turns out as well, these guys also like it. But at the time, the thing I went through was, oh, no, kind of 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 33-year-olds listening to Radio 1 in the morning. This is end of days. So I was was gone. I was taken off. and then I was going to stay. They, 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 I was going to, they were going to move me to another part of the schedule, like they've done with other Radio 1 Breakfast Show DJs in the past. But uh, I always said to myself that that would be my last show on Radio 1 with a breakfast show. So I had to go. And it was all very, very, very amicable. But I, I sat with Ben after a few months and said, you know, I'm not coming back, don't you? And he goes, yeah, I know. So it was, it was fine. But yeah, strange times. I do look back at it and do smile. You know, and I know I've gone on a bit about this, but it is a big chunk of my life. And also the fact that they lost about three million listeners after I left. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> three years then, mate. Three years, maybe. What did you do? Where did you go? What did you get up to after that? Oh, my, my, my sabbatical. So you, you did, you were doing the show, you were doing Herod for Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, which you got good... Which you got, you got good reviews for, I may point out. Thanks. Uh, it, was a, it was a charm gig, though, to be fair. It was easy. Um, I did. We've, I finished at Radio 1 on the Friday. I'll never forget this. It was James Corden's wedding the next day, the Saturday. And on the Friday night after that, we opened up the O2 in front of 15,000 people. And I was like, now this is great because this is going to keep me busy. You know, I've done that show for the best part of nine years. And I was like, and I've walked through the doors at Radio 1 for 15 years. And now I wasn't going in there anymore. And so thank God I had the musical to keep me busy. And I also made a little silly parody album, which we were working on as well. So that all happened at the same time. And then I did a tour of my own. 
Excuse me. And that was a sound effect. I did my own tour for a couple of weeks, which was really good fun. And I tell you, what, I wish I'd done that back in the day at Radio Award. Ooh. You made some money, buddy. Do you know what? We did it for, for shits and giggles. And, um, uh, and I, uh, you know, I made sure everybody got paid on the show and everything. It was like weird. It was my tour. And I just said, look, everybody gets paid. Pay the boys really well. We'll have the driver. We'll have this. We'll have catering. We'll have, no, we won't have catering. We'll have towels. We'll have, what do you want a tour bus? Hotels. What do you want? We'll have a lighting guy and, um, St. John's Ambulance, which he had to pay for weirdly. And, um, and I'll, whatever's left, I'll have. Once everybody's been paid, I'll have it. And um, it was great. It was been like a rock star for two weeks. So I did that. And then I got to the January. And I wanted to write. I've always wanted to write and never had the time. So I thought, I'm going to take a year off. Because my showbiz um, job, my job in showbiz is nine to five. It's a Monday to Friday. There ain't no seasons. It's, it's on. You get holiday and that's it. You know, I've never had a month off ever. That doesn't exist. So I took a year off. Was that weird? Would you have find, find yourself going, oh, I should be in the studio now. Oh, I should be writing this now. I should no, be it, was, this now. It, it was fine. It was fine. It was really uh, it, like anything. It's like the first few days of your holiday. It takes you a while to unwind. But because I went straight from Radio 1, straight into the musical, straight into my tour. And that finished maybe mid-November. And then it was Christmas. And then it came to January. And I'm like, right, I'm going to start writing. So I used to get up in the morning and uh, train and shower and change. And then sit at a laptop and start writing. And then... The weather in the UK was shit. So I went to LA and hired a house for a month. Came back here and within a week and a bit, the weather was shit. And I just went, why am I here? I might as well go back to LA. So I hired another house and went back to LA for another month. And I would do that a couple of times a year. Um, and uh, I, I loved it. I really, really, really loved it. But... I was kind of, I was very aware that I, I literally, I didn't have a job and I'm like, this is, you know, the money's going to run out at some point, especially when the end revenue starts asking for it. Um, so, and then the radio X job, the conversation for that started in the like February um, of year of my third year off really. So even though I had three years off, I had two, I had a year off of doing nothing and then, because we did two tours of the musical and then I knew I was going to go back to radio by maybe the March of 2015. So it was really a year off of doing nothing but writing and then another year and a half of, of doing bits and bobs. It's fun though. What, doing nothing? Yeah. Do you, re do you really reckon so? I think you're a man that would find it difficult to really, if that, if that I was out. extended... I was out. I was out. I was out of radio. I was done. Like I'd never say never, but I, I was done. And I'd, I'd have arguments with friends of mine in radio and they go, you really miss it, don't you? And I'm like, I really don't. There's elements of it that I miss, but I don't miss the daily grind of it all. I really don't. They're like, yeah, you do. And they were annoyed. And I felt, I think they felt a bit disappointed that I wasn't, crying at night really missing the show and i'm like it's okay it's fine i'm all right but was there was there's no feeling of resentment of rejection about what happened and how you've been treated no i didn't enjoy 
I was a bit miffed at the 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 way the story had gone out, how I'd left Radio One was that uh, that I was too old and got fired. You know, it was mm. very amicable. Like I, you know, as I said, the the I knew I wouldn't be doing that show forever. I I was pissed off with the way they handled it because I thought they handled it really badly, and that stung a bit. And then when they launched Nick, um, they did something which really made me go fuck you a little bit which was they had an advert for nick's show and it said now with added music which was clearly a a piss take about how much we would talk on the show and i'm like oh okay what the most successful breakfast show you've ever had with the most amount of listeners you guys have had in over a, a decade oh that's a bit of a fuck you to us and you know eight million listeners oh, okay well, fuck you back. How about that? And you know what? I genuinely, genuinely don't have any beef with Nick Grimshaw at all. Like genuinely, as I said earlier, we're, you know, we're not very close. Um, we're just, we're not super pally. But I, you know, I've always got on well with him when I've seen him socially. I don't have any extra grind. But when that show failed and the listing figures fell, I was like, all right, not that fucking easy, is it, boys? Not, not, again, not aimed at Nick, but just aimed at Radio 1 in general. To be fair, Chris, isn't it also the way that people now listen to or any kind of entertainment or view it? People have got so many more options. The figures that you were getting, like the figures that we were getting in EastEnders 20-odd years ago, you're never going to see that kind of audience again coming to, to anything, are you? No, but but... You, they could be better. You know, you're never going to get... I mean, when I did... Listen, I'm the big dick on Radio 1, literally, idiot, <laughs> big balls, Chris Moyles, uh, with me eight and a half million listeners on The Breakfast Show. And I think we spoke to Tony Blackman one day and he goes, yeah, I had 28 million when I did it. And you just go, <laughs> Jesus. You know, or Steve Wright telling me, you know, yeah, it didn't work when I did the breakfast show. Still had, you know, 10 million or what. And you just go, oh, my God. But, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the show lost like a million and a half all but overnight. I can't remember the timeline. but So you go, well, that's not – you can get them back. You know, it's not like you've lost it. It's not like that sock that you lose when you do your washing. They're there. They've gone somewhere. I wish they'd bloody come over to Radio X, but that's another <laughs> battle. Talking about losing things, how much weight have you lost? What, from my very worst? Yes, to you. Yeah, well, well, you look, come on, mate. You've done really well, mate. Come on. I've done, yeah, but I'm really, I'm really big at the moment. This is the biggest I've been in lockdown because I've been on it like a, a crazed loon and I've relaxed and I had a week off for my girlfriend's birthday and went away from eight and stuff. So at the moment, I Go really on. feel... Uh, bloaty. Here's a question for you. Um, you and I both like the occasion. Six stone is the answer, by the way. Really? Yeah. yeah. Six. You lost six stone yeah. from from my worst. My worst weight. I was eighteen too. That I know of. Would you not agree with me on this one? Uh, particularly if you've lost six stone, that people talk about exercise and people talk about diet and they're really kind of, I'm not, I'm not, by no stretch am I an expert, but I know that if I watch what I eat and what I drink particularly, I drop more weight than spending more hours exercising. Yeah. 
the diet's got to be 80 percent 90 percent sure uh, yeah totally and the, i know my body really well now better than ever in my life and i'm still learning and i'm lucky that i have a trainer who is a nerd about this stuff and he's he's got a very similar um metabolism to me which is that of a you know a jcb i don't have the metabolism of a you know a, a an 18 year old girl or boy i just don't I, I i have and i will and people don't believe me but i weigh myself five six days a week maybe and i know you shouldn't and i know it's not for everyone but the reason i do that is so i can learn about how my body works and i will train monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday and i will watch what i eat and i'll eat very little today i've had literally all but nothing to eat today and i'm great and i'm intermittent fasting and i'm i'll eat same here that's what i I'll do half six seven and i'll be fine but i need to do that from the weekend that i've just had so yeah it's pay, it's, it's 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 paying peter to rob paul basically yeah, yeah. You've got to, if you're going to go and have that weekend which you and yeah. i would like a weekend we love a weekend in fact yeah. look forward to it but i can't live like that weekend seven days a week because you end up putting on 16 stone right yeah i, I you know I, so i will uh, I will be really good during the week. And then Friday comes, I do a little DJ set on Instagram at the moment and I'll have a couple of drinks. And then maybe Saturday we'll go for, uh, I'll, now we can go for dinner. So maybe I'll do that a few drinks on Sunday, something. And I'll get on the scales on Monday and I will have put on anywhere from five, six, eight pounds, 10 pounds, mm -hmm. 10 pounds. Now it's not fat. It's just bloat. It's just water retention. And by the Friday, the next week, that 10 pounds will have gone and maybe a little bit more if I've worked hard enough, maybe a little bit less, but it'll go. So at the moment I'm like, I feel a bit barrelly. My body dysmorphia is kicking in. And by Friday I'll be like, I will probably look exactly the same, but I'll feel, yeah, feeling good. What's preventing you? Cause it's probably the same thing that prevents me from making it through that weekend without having that celebratory because you get to the weekend and you're fucking tired and you want to drink it's it's boring watching what you it eat boring, buddy. anyone listening to this now who who goes oh i don't you know i don't really i don't really worry about uh, well you lucky bastards because i've got to and it's and it's this simple for anyone listening and if you if anybody is really trying just it, it's getting some stuff into your head it's it's finding the key that unlocks Whatever it is that makes you go, ah, if you're going to go out on a Friday night for dinner and you're going to get a babysitter and you're going to get a cab into town and then you're going to do it again on Saturday and then you're going to do it again on Sunday. By Monday morning, you're going to go, geez, we spent a lot of money this weekend on babysitters and taxes and food. So you need to save that money up if you want to do it again. And it's the same thing from you and me with drinking beer and having carbs you've got to save up that yeah you know money to spend and then you've got to earn it again in the gym and by watching what you eat through trial and error i know that my body and wheat fucking hate each other which is a shame because wheat is wicked in bread and it's great in booze and you know and i look back i used to eat a lot of bread and the moment I literally cut out bread, and I still, uh, if I go for dinner, that bowl arrives like, Jesus Christ, like, you know, heroin for a, a drug addict. 
that basket of bread and butter that turns up, oh, I'm all over it. Christ. But I don't buy bread. I've not bought bread in years. And there's, it's no coincidence that I am less bloaty and fat now. For avoiding that weight. You're open about lots of things. And sometimes you're kind of quite close about certain things. What, what in your life so far has been the hardest thing to overcome? The year I got the radio and breakfast show, which was every radio and ambition and dream I ever had. Uh, in the same year that I got that show, my dad had a quadruple heart bypass surgery and my mum got breast cancer, which was great. Cause it was like, yay, best year of my life. Ring, ring, hello. Well, dad, why are you ringing me? You never ring me. It's always mum that rings me. Oh shit, why are you ringing me? So it was one of those. And I, I can't remember the order. I think, that, I think dad was first. Dad had to have, a, have the heart surgery, which is, uh, which is really bizarre because again, so this was 2004 and they're both still with us, which is great. Um, and my dad had this surgery and the radio one were really good to me. The BBC let me go up and do the show from Leeds for my mum and my dad, certainly for my mum. Um, and my dad is, is, is typical Yorkshireman. If his eyeball was hanging out like by a little bit of a socket, if it was hanging out the socket rather, uh, he'd be like, it's all right. I'll just pop it back in. It's fine. And so my dad's lying in, in, in hospital uh, after the heart bypass surgery. And I don't really know what that meant. I don't really kn knew, but, but all I knew was when they checked him out, they said, we, we should do this like, now we should do this quick really quick and quadruple sounds like four times the normal amount you know to me um and then he's fine he he he, he ended up doing that thing that, that a lot of people do which is it's arguably he's he's probably stronger now than it than it certainly was before and then um a few months later then we got we literally just got over that and then mum um got diagnosed with breast cancer and it was just like that was the first time that i realized that my parents are, are you know are, are not superheroes you know um and that that was really tough because that was the that was cancer when that's that c word and that's that uh that's the scary shit and if anyone is listening to this now and they hear that c word about themselves or anybody else in their life what i will tell you now is is, is, is listen to this this was 2004 and we had a, a, a guy who would do a, a doctor who would do a show on radio one called the surgery dr mark hamilton and i rang mark and i went mate I, i'm in the i'm in the shit here my mum's got breast cancer and i don't really know what that means if I'm really honest, I genuinely don't really know what that means. And he goes, he goes, breast cancer is very common. Very, very common. That's not the big C it used to be back in the day. Um, so he's diagnosed as breast cancer, yeah? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, yeah. So what's the deal? So obviously I would imagine there'll be a certain amount of treatment as she started. And he was very matter of fact about it, very relaxed, very calm. And I'll never forget him saying, listen, the shit that they can do now that you know the the stuff that they know uh you know cancer is not like that's it game over bye-bye see you later you know because the 
chances are she'll be fine. She'll be totally fine. It's going to get a bit shitty for a bit, but she'll be fine. And this was 2004, so a long time ago. And it's amazing. I, I stare at adverts on the telly sometimes from time to time where they talk about, you know, Macmillan or whatever. And they say, you know, give us money because we're still trying to find a cure. And you go, wow, that's mad that we don't have a cure. But they've really come a long way. So that that was a period in my life which was weird. The dad thing was a scare. And then the, the breast cancer thing was, I mean, that was that was really horrible. And um, going up to see my mum and the the one thing that, she couldn't handle was the chemo she just i mean hated that she could put it with everything but the chemo really just just sucked the life out of her and losing her hair which uh was a, a big thing for her and i'll never ever forget i said to my mom i'm gonna shave my head she goes why it's like solidarity and all that. You're going to lose your hair. I'm going to, I'm going to lose. I'm going to shave mine off. And she goes, are you fucking stupid? And I went, what? She goes, I don't want to lose my hair. Why on earth would you shave your head thinking that that's going to help me when I don't want to lose my hair? I want to keep my hair. You not losing your hair. So you're deliberately going to shave it off. What? How does that help me? And I've, I always think of that conversation every time I hear somebody shaving their head to raise money for charity. Because it's a fair point. You know, if, you, if your mate lost, your, lost their legs, you wouldn't suddenly rock up in a wheelchair going, well, I'm going to go around in a wheelchair too, just let you eat you like that. Piss off. But that was it. That, that, there you were, probably at the height or the beginning at the height of, uh, of your fame, having to be very, very funny every morning, having to be funny the next morning and the next morning, and there you were, faced with a double tragedy. Um, but I, again, you know, I'm lucky. I can say, I can't remember what I said, but I think, so my dad, my, I said to my dad, he was in hospital. I went to see him at the weekend. And I said, like, oh, I've been up for a bit. And I said, like, I've got to go back to, to, to London and do the show. And he had one of those phones on the arm in the hospital room that you, you know, you, you spend £8,000 on so they can watch, you know, BBC Two in black and white and make two phone calls. So I said, um, listen, do you, do you want to be on the show? Can we call you? And he was recovering at this point. And he said, uh, yeah. So I said on the radio, look, my dad's been in hospital and, and he had a heart bypass, quadruple heart bypass, but um, he's got a phone next to him. I'll, I'll ring him. And he answered the phone and went, Hello. <laughs> Hello, son, is that you? I went, Dad, how are you? And he goes, I'm not great. I don't think I've got along. And everyone in the studio went, <gasps> and I went, Dad, what are you want about? And he goes, no, I'm all right. I'm okay. <laughs> is that where you get it from? I think, yeah, I'm a real mix. I'm a real mix of the two of them. A real 50-50. I'm a, I'm, um, half my mum and half my dad but but you know my my and my mum and dad I just saw them I, I you know, at the time we record this lockdown has really eased off kind of sort of and um, I just went to see them last week I got the train and saw them for the first time in four months in the flesh and they actually look great they're in their very late 70s now they're hurting towards 80 you know like yourself and uh, they <laughs> But they look good. Mine are, though. Mine are. My mum my and my dad, my dad's just 83, my mum's 82. 
they they went into lockdown uh, a month before lockdown happened, just in case it might happen. Wow. And, and they're still turning around to me and going, we don't want to see you, really. They're quite happy. They met, I think, when they were 15. So they've been together quite a few years now. So they don't seem to need anybody else. Wow. That's not my mum and dad. My, it's mum and dad's 50th. Um, or it was in, in August, depending on when you get this edited. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, and uh, I'm like, you know, so we're going to, and we're going to do nothing because obviously we can't really have a party, but you know, we'll save it for another day. You, talk, you talked about um, you got long term girlfriend uh, and the cats. Are you saying they were difficult to homeschool during lockdown? Did you do you ever regret that you haven't got kids, or do you not think about it? Is it not important to you? No, no. You don't want to hear it. You you don't you, you know the answer. See, this is it. You do really do you really want me to stick the knife in and say it? It's a it's a mixture of of, of things. It's a, mix, a mixture of circumstance and 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 not feeling mature enough to even contemplate having kids, and then you know, being in relationships that were working out and, and blah, blah. And um, so it's a mixture of things, but I don't, um, you, you know, up until we got the kittens, weirdly, um, our life was about us. You know, if we wanted to go somewhere, we would go, we would, you know, and, you know, and I, I'm just going to say, I'm really sorry, but I've got to, cause you've got to appreciate the good things in life. Homeschooling didn't exist in this house during lockdown. Not a bother. Didn't need to worry about it at all. My brother lost his shit one day because BBC Bite Size wasn't on. Holy <laughs> cow. The kids almost killed him. And I'm like this. It's not my problem, bar kid. Sorry, mate. <laughs> You're on your own, brother. Future, mate. Are you going to just stay at X? Is that the, is that the plan? Yeah. Because I, I... you love it, don't you? Because I tell you what I do know is... You genuinely, you genuinely enjoy the fact that you haven't got someone breathing down your neck saying you've got to do it this way or do it that way or my way or the highway. Is that it? Yeah, I'll stop doing it if 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 I don't if that freedom changes, I'll stop it because it it would be very very hard to go back, and it would be very hard to to not have the freedom and not be able to do the the, the show that we're doing, and if all the management changed tomorrow and they were like, look, you've got to play a certain amount of songs. You I'd be like, do you know what? Let's I'll, I'll just save you the trouble. Just, you know, pay me off the rest of my deal. And, uh, and I'll go because I don't want to do that now. You know, I don't want to do every day. That was, this is three in a row. It's just, you know, I've done it. I've done it. And I was really good at it, but I've, I've done it. It's, it's not the show that I'm selling. It's just, just the show that I would, I would listen to the show, you know, if, if, if it was on the radio and it was somebody else but me doing it, I'm doing the show that I would want to listen to. It's kind of like the broadcasters that entertain me. It's a mishmash of loads of people that I love. And, and uh, uh, so, yeah. And then, but then I'm in commercial radio now. So if the audience love it, the bosses will love it because they're making money. And if the bosses get pissed off with it one day or whatever, then, you know, fine. It's, you know, no one's being held to ransom. Um, I'd like to get more money for doing it because I'm worth every penny. <laughs> and and yeah, that's about it. But yeah, that I don't it. know. And that is it. I've taken your time and you've given it generously, beyond generous, Mr. Moyles. How do you end this podcast? How do you have like a sign off? We haven't got a jingle yet. Right, but do you go, you know, Chris, I'm Chris, Ross, you're the boss, or some weird. No, I just go, Chris, I love talking to you, mate, as always. Anyway, you.
I'll let you get back to whatever you was doing. You've got to lay a floor, haven't you, or something? I'm not laying the pissing <laughs> floor. Someone else can do that. Christ, I can't. Why well, get up so early in the morning, Ross? I can't. Literally. Oh, four, oh, 14, 1500. Oh, four. In the morning. <laughs> I, uh, no, I've really enjoyed it. And I have talked for way too long. But I don't really, I don't really do things like this. Because, I'm, again, I'm six, you know, I've got six radio shows a week and a podcast to talk about myself. So, But um, like when... I'm like, I've got to do your podcast, man. I've got to see how bad you are at interviewing people. Fucking rubbish. Thank you. Bye, guys. Good luck. Okay, see you, man. Bye, 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 bye. Yes, oh, what a wanker. Can't believe what a fucking wanker Chris Moore is. <laughs> fucking, yet, yet. Fucking, yet. You fucking stop talking. I had to piss in a bottle twice. I had to piss in a bottle twice. Love you. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Kempcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Kemp and on Instagram at Ross Kemp TV. This has been a Freshwater and the Chance of Collective production. Thanks to the team and one fine play. And until the next episode, goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.